Um, today we're reading from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews from chapter 2. And we'll start reading in verse 5 of chapter 2 to the end of the chapter. So that's Hebrews 2, starting in verse 5. <coughs> 4. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Sorry, we seem to be playing that game, singing one song to the tune of another this morning. That's entirely my fault. Sorry about that, Ross. Uh, let's come before the Lord in prayer as we consider his great word and its application to us. Gracious, loving, merciful Father in heaven, Lord, we do indeed want to come before you now to hear your voice, to hear your word, to um, be encouraged, to be exhorted, to be trained, to be equipped, and if necessary, Lord, by your will, to be rebuked. Lord, we acknowledge humbly again that you are the author of life, you sent your son into the world because you love this world, because you're not willing that any should perish. You upheld the holiness of your super 
supernatural special name and that you can by your will lord in accordance with the way that we respond call us into glory and so lord we yeah we just humble ourselves before your word pray that you'll speak to us in jesus amen well good morning chapel street good morning to the folks online and those that uh, will listen later on on the podcast um, we're back in Hebrews. I'm still excited about doing Hebrews. Are you still excited? Good on you. Thanks for the encouragement. A book that won't let us down, like most, no, like all books in the Bible. Um, and you remember last time we were looking at our, our second session in Hebrews 2. And now we're going to do the third and final one. And last time I asked that question that many people don't ask Christians. What need to become um, a man to complete his mission. And we looked at how Jesus was perfected through suffering, how he was proven to be the suitable savior, the suitable sacrifice, the one that would pay and the one who could pay for the sin of the world. And I asked the question, what are the benefits that flow from this God-man who is suitable for the task? We looked at three aspects of death. We looked at the idea or the truth that God in Christ tasted death for everyone. We looked at the idea in truth that death no longer has a sting because the one who has the power over death, Satan, is destroyed. And we looked at the idea and reality that we no longer need to be enslaved to fear of death. Because as we've just sung, there's no guilt in life. So there is no fear in death. Because there is, in Christ Jesus, no condemnation for our sins. Because this man was suitable. He was proved. He was tested and found to be perfect and suitable and this final chapter or the final part of this chapter we haven't got to the end of hebrews just yet um, takes us on into three other things that i was going to consider but two of them are actually considered in much more detail throughout the rest of the book and that's around the idea that there is this this offspring he had to be made like us this is offspring of abraham and the idea that he is the great high priest, so he's made like us in every respect and able to bring the right sacrifice, the final sacrifice for the sins and the propitiation of them to the Father. And so we're not going to look at that, the, the, those items uh, this week, but we will as we go through the rest of Hebrews. So I really want to just zone in on the last line of chapter 2. Suffering in temptation... Because Christ suffered in temptation, he is able to help us in our temptation. And I want us to see some really important things in this. I want you to see that there is a relationship between Jesus and his suffering in temptation and us. That he can help us in our temptations because of that. That's another reason he became man, isn't it? We can identify with him because he's a man. 
he can identify with us because we're human being. Temptation is common to all of us, is it not? Anybody not know temptation? I was tempted this morning to anger and a whole other bunch of temptations I probably wasn't aware of. It was just because I couldn't get in the door. The key wasn't work. It was quite ridiculous. But temptation is common to all of us. It gives rise, if we yield to it, if we give in to it, it gives rise to sin. And so it's common to all of us. And I think because of that, you know as well as I, that when we are tempted and we try to resist, there is a kind of wrangling. There's a little war that erupts in our soul, in our, in our breast, because we know it's wrong, but we desire it. So there's a tension that exists, a fight that exists. We want to give in to temptation because we find pleasure in the thing that we're going to be tempted or being tempted in. We want to seek joy in the temptation, in the sin. But we need to seek joy in Christ. I was talking to someone this week about that, and we were saying how easy it is to seek joy in the world <laughs> and how fallen and shallow and hollow it is. It's actually quite hard, if I'm honest, to seek joy in Christ. But that's where it really exists, in him. And the world knows nothing of that. The world outside of Christ knows nothing of the joy in Christ. And to be honest, the world often knows nothing about temptation. It just yields, <laughs> just gives in to all manner of sin. It doesn't have that wrangling in the spirit, in the breast, in the heart of man. It's often common when people from a pulpit talk about temptation, they quote Oscar Wilde, and I'm going to do the same, but they often don't quote the full quote. And it's a shame because it's amazing. This comes from one of his books, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray. And you'll know the quote. He says, the only way to get rid of temptation is to give in to it, <laughs> to yield to it. When you're tempted, the only way to get rid of that painful temptation is to give in to it. And it's true, isn't it, for a sense, for a, for a while at least, that when you do give in to that pain that's coming, that's supported with temptation or a company's temptation, when you give in, that pain disappears. But of course it comes back, doesn't it? Does it? Or is it just me? <laughs> it comes back again and again. But the second part of that quote is amazing. Listen to this. He says, so the only way to get rid of temptation is to give into it, resist it, and your soul grows sick with longing and desiring the thing that you're keeping from yourself. The soul grows sick. It hurts. It pains. And so for him, his answer is, well, just give in. There's something powerful and longing, the desires of the flesh that we struggle to resist when tempted. Okay, well, I've got three statements I want to make about this um, dynamic that goes on. And then three points I want us to look at around verse 18. 
the three statements are these. Statement number one, when we don't give in to temptation, our suffering gives rise to the glory, honor, and exaltation of God, which is our task. It's why we live. So when we don't give in to it, the suffering that we experience gives rise to God's glory. When we do give in to temptation, our suffering vanishes, as I've said, for a time. It will return. And God doesn't get the glory, does he? We get the opportunity to confess and repent. And the third statement, when there is no struggle, when temptation comes and there is no struggle or fight to suffer, then we need to be very concerned. If there's nothing going on in your heart when you're tempted that says you should obey God and not obey yourself, then you should be very concerned. It's a serious business, isn't it? This temptation stuff. It's, a, it's almost a thermometer, a temperature check on faith. Where is my faith? Do I feel suffering and pain when I'm tempted? Or do I simply yield to it and don't care? It's not appropriate for me to spend time talking about myself, but I do want to say one thing. I uh, thought I was born again in 1991. And in reality, I was born again in 2014. That might shock some of you. I thought I was a Christian. My friends thought I was a Christian. But the one thing that happened in my life was I sinned and I didn't care. It didn't matter to me. It matters to me now, believe me. That's that thermometer of faith. Where is your faith, Sam? There was no wrangling in my spirit back then. So there are my three statements. And now we, give you, we come to three points. The first point is this. The nature of Jesus' temptation and ours. The nature of it. So back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 then. Simply says this. For because he himself, Jesus himself, has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. So the nature of Jesus' temptation and ours, well, the first thing I want you to know is Jesus was tempted continually. Sometimes we just take particular passages of scripture and think, well, that's the examples of when he was tempted and the rest of the time he wasn't. He's a holy God living in a sinful world and he's tempted continually until his death and resurrection. We think about perhaps the two most common places where we see this temptation written in the Gospels. And one is the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. And the other is in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to know that in the wilderness or in that narrative around the Lord being taken into the wilderness, he was led there by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit led him into a place to be tested. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he ate nothing. And Satan continually tested him, tempted him, continually. Bang, 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 bang. And we hear about three of those temptations. The first one, if you remember, the Lord Jesus is hungry, as you would be if you hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. I'd be extremely hungry, and so would you. 
And so Satan kind of appeals to his fleshly nature by saying, well, command these stones to turn into bread. You've got the power to turn stones into bread. So if you're hungry, turn stones into bread that you may eat. There's nothing wrong, is there, with eating bread, is there? Gluten-free or otherwise. There's nothing wrong with that. Eating too much, that's a different thing, but there's nothing intrinsically wrong with eating bread. So what's wrong with this? Why does this temptation matter? Well, think about it for a second. What is Satan saying? Why don't you, Jesus, use your supernatural powers for yourself? Why don't you use your supernatural powers to serve yourself? We know that Jesus didn't come to serve himself, did he? He came to serve his father so that he might save the world. I don't know how tempted the Lord was, but I do know that he didn't do it. And his defense, his um, rebuttal, is to quote the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His rebuttal, his defense when tempted is to go to the word of God. And the second one that comes is he asks the Lord Jesus to go up onto the pinnacle of the temple and jump. He says, well, kind of like this. If the word of God matters that much, the word of God says that you won't stumble. And if you do, the angels will catch you. So let's go up to the temple and try that out. I honestly really think Satan is trying to kill Jesus. I do. I think he wants him to commit suicide. He wants to test the word. And through that, he wants to test God. Jesus rebuts it with the word. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, that's what's written in scripture. So I'm not going to. And the third one, and perhaps in a way the most significant, is that Satan asks Jesus to bow down and worship him. And he tempts him by saying, if you do that, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. All of this, which he says belongs to me for a time, will be given to you. Imagine that, the creator of the universe, the creator that created the world, created you. Satan says, I'll give this to you. If you bow down and worship me. And the Lord's response is to quote the word. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Shall you worship and serve? I'll give you the whole world. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. No, worshiping the Father, worshiping God is what you're made for. It's what you're designed to do. That's Jesus' temptations as we see in that wilderness encounter. 
What about our temptations? Are they any different? Are they the same? Well, I actually want to say at substance level, they're the same. We're tempted to serve ourselves all the time, aren't we? We are. We're tempted to do what pleases us all the time. I'm, I've been up here before and said, I hate that phrase. I'm going to have a little bit of me time because that's exactly what that is. I'm going to serve myself for a bit. I'm, I deserve a bit of a break. We're tempted to serve ourselves every time temptation comes and we yield, we're serving ourselves. Have you noticed how Satan never tempts us to do good? Never. Do you tempt yourself to do good? No, because that's not temptation. That's freedom in Christ. So we're tempted to bow down and worship ourselves, the world, mammon, money, sex. We pervert the good things that God gives us. Sex is a, is a good example so that we're tempted to do things that aren't appropriate and we weren't made for. We're tempted by money, by jobs. We're also tempted to be angry the way I was this morning. We're tempted to demonstrate our pride or to have pride. All these things are temptations. There's no difference, really, in the type of temptation that was brought to, say, uh, to Jesus and the type of temptation that we experience. But there is a difference in the source of it, its origin. I really want you to get this. Who's tempting Jesus? Satan. And I'd say, well, who's tempting me? Satan. And you'd be right. There's someone else tempting you as well. You. You. See, Jesus has a pure, sinless heart. There's nothing in him that seeks itself. The tempter, the force of temptation is the one outside that is whispering lies, deceit, the murderer, the father of lies, Satan. And he does that to us. But we do a pretty good job of it ourselves, don't we? Jesus was conceived without sin. He's sinless. And that's why he's a suitable sacrifice. And we are conceived in sin. We are born in sin. Our nature is sinful. And so there's something else at work in us in terms of the source of our temptation, yes, Satan's there, but so is our heart. And our heart is deceitful above all things, everything. It deceives you, it deceives everyone else, it doesn't deceive God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked desperately wicked, desiring to fulfill its pleasures and its lusts and itself in the world. And I don't want you to think that when you become a Christian, that hard heart vaporizes and disappears. You're living in the old self. That's why there's a war. That's why when temptation comes, you feel suffering. There's a new spirit. There's a new heart. 
There's the spirit of God. And there's this old, decaying, dead, sin-ridden body of flesh. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans 7? I don't do the thing I know I should do. And the very thing I know I shouldn't do, I do. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. He gives us a victory, the victory. James puts it like this with respect to our hearts. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, even worse. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts nobody. But each person is tempted when he is lured, lured and enticed by his own desire. It's in here. It's the human heart. Once itself deceives itself, deceives everyone else. Enticed, lured by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know what he says next? Do not be deceived, brothers. Now, there's another section that he's linking it with, but don't be deceived. You know, there's a... Almost a tradition in the modern church to blame Satan for everything. It's very apt in a sense because Satan is tempting, he is lying, he is deceiving. But think back to Eve for a second. Did she blame Satan for her sin? Yeah, she did. Did she get away with that? No. Because she was culpable. Satan's got enough problems of his own and is um, destroyed, as we, we heard about last time, and the time will come when he's thrown into the lake of fire. But we've got to be honest about our own sin. Romans 6, the apostle tells us not to let sin reign in our mortal flesh. Don't let sin reign in your mortal flesh, that you obey its passions, its lusts. You are following it around because you let it reign. If you're a Christian, don't let sin have its way in you because that's what it wants. That's what your heart wants. Your heart wants an easy life. Your heart doesn't want to suffer. Your heart wants pleasure. Your heart wants joy in the world. And the spirit that we have in us is saying, no, you need joy in Christ. It's real joy. Don't let sin reign in your mortal flesh that you obey its lust. So that's point number one, the nature of Jesus' temptation and ours. They're similar in terms of the type of temptation. They're different in terms of the source. The Lord didn't have a, a deceitful heart, right? He didn't have that. The thing that we have. So point number two, the experience of Jesus's suffering and ours. I mentioned before that there is a tension that occurs when we um, are tempted. There's a choice that erupts. And in all honesty, suffering, temptation only works or only uh, has its way when we continue in it. You know that? Think about it for a second. Jesus never yielded. He never gave in to temptation. 
When you give in to temptation, that pain, that suffering vanishes for a while, but he never gave in. So what does that mean? It means he continued to suffer. And that's how he was perfected. That's one of the examples that proved his mettle. He continued to suffer. It never left him. Can you imagine what that was like? I want to cut straight to the point here because of time. Christ's suffering in temptation is a struggling anguish to win the victory, to glorify God. And our suffering and struggling and sometimes winning, right? Hopefully more often than we lose, and hopefully that's growing, the fight is growing, and we're learning to overcome temptation. But if we fail, there's repentance. Amen? There's confession. There's restoration. There's peace. Again and again and again. How many times you sin, you come back to Christ. Is there going to be a point where it says, you know what, Sam, you've had your fill. It's a billion sins. There is no more. Sorry to, to, to tell you, you can't come back into fellowship with me. It's all over for you. No, grace abounds all the more, right? Sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So remember that. I don't want you to leave today thinking, just got to try harder and, and, you know, please God. You do. But you also need to come back to him when you don't. But it can be agony. It's real suffering. Don't think of it lightly. It's real suffering. I want to take us to, and I'll, I'll just read it, but the other big example of the Lord Jesus being tempted, and that's to not go to the cross the garden of gethsemane you remember the picture it says to the boys to the apostles to the disciples you guys stay over there interestingly he says pray that you don't fall into temptation he goes about a stone's throw away it says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying father if you're willing remove this cup from me What's the cup? The cup is the wrath and the judgment that's coming. If you're willing, remove it from me. Nevertheless, that's such a powerful word, isn't it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You might say, well, where's the suffering? You know what it says next? It says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Why? Because he was suffering. He was suffering under the weight of the task that was ahead of him. He was suffering because this temptation was there, not to continue the task. And then it says this, and being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. The result, <laughs> the, the, the fruit of agony in this place that Christ is in, is to pray all the more earnestly. 
And it says, and his sweat became like drops of blood, great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is agony. The Greek word here for agony is agony. <laughs> Agoni, that's the same word. And I want you to understand that the a good translation just of the word agoni, I had a little look at this, is I'll give you two, listen to this. The state, right? The state of struggling in anguish for victory. Right? The state of struggling in anguish for victory. And the analogy, I, the only analogy I could come up with was running a marathon. It's not a great analogy for me because I haven't run a marathon. Um, but I imagine the last mile or kilometer or whatever is agony. But what do you do? You keep struggling because there's a victory coming. Right? There's the finishing line coming. Another rendering of that is uh, agony is severe mental and emotional anguish in pain. You can hear it in the text. Father, if you're willing, take this cup. Not my will. Struggling in anguish for victory. Extreme, severe mental, emotional anguish and pain. If you don't believe me, read Isaiah 53. <laughs> we haven't got time to read it. But you know Isaiah 53? The suffering servant, right? Go read it. There's anguish, there's pain, there's suffering. There's crushing. He's crushed. He's tempted to give it up. But he didn't. Amen. Isn't it good that he didn't? I want to say it. You should feel the same. Maybe not that kind of depth of agony, but that wrestling, that wrangling in your spirit should be there. It needs to be there. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We need to experience this suffering to know that we are bringing God to glory. We need to persevere in our suffering to bring in glory. So consider Christ, lest you grow weary, says, says Hebrews. Consider him, consider his cross, consider his sacrifice, consider the joy that was set before him and how he endured the cross, how he despised the shame. Consider that he is truly perfect, that he's proved his metal by being obedient, lest you grow weary in your pursuit. And then that text, if I remember correctly, says something like, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Some of our brothers and sisters are. We prayed for some of them this morning. They're shedding their blood. They're giving up their lives by not denying Christ. So last point then, point number three. How does Jesus help us? <laughs> I mean, he's... Uh, suffered in his temptation how does that help us how does he help us when we are being tempted well simple because christ was made a man in every respect because he tasted suffering because he was tempted he knows how you feel doesn't he don't tell me that your suffering's worse than Christ. My suffering's worse than Christ. It can't be. It's not possible. His suffering's at an infinite level. And he knows how you feel. He knows you. 
He decided whose family you would be born into, when you would be born, what your life would be like. He knew all the struggles that you would face and all the temptations that would become before you had one of them. He knows you. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He's made like us in every respect, but without sin. In Christ, says the word there, we have someone who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he was weak. He was lowly. Angels came when he was weak. But more than that, the way that he rebutted Satan was to use the word. You're, you've got only a lapse. We're looking at it today. You have the word. He's given us the word of God. He is himself the word of God, and he's given us the word of God that's all about him and tells us what we're like. It teaches us to persevere. It teaches us to withstand suffering for the sake of God's glory. It tells us what God's glory is really like. And listen, it's the only weapon we've got, isn't it? Good argument and, you know, apologetics, they're interesting. But the only actual weapon we've got is the word of God. It says that. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the, which is the, thank you, word of God. And listen, don't be one of those people that thinks you're going to wield your sword of the spirit against Satan. You're not. You can rebut his lies because that's what the truth does. It's what he brings, the lie. Isn't that what he said to Eve? Oh, God did not surely say that, Eve. You can rebut that. But you're not going to judge or condemn or kill Satan. That's someone else's job, which we've already learned about. So what then is the sword for? Well, how about the old heart? How about the old heart that loves itself? Why don't we plunge that sword, as it were, into our old hearts? Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. How are we going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds if the word of truth isn't in there? What does the word say to me when I go to sin? Or what should it be saying? What should I allow it to say? Christ died for you, Sam. Don't do that. He's worthy of all honor and praise. That's what the word's telling me. Is the word telling you that? That's why we sing all these things. That's why we come here, isn't it? So use the word. He's given you that. That's how he helps you. He's also given you prayer. And he prayed all the more earnestly in his agony. And I tell you, if you're like me, sometimes in my agony, I go and eat chocolate. I don't even think about praying. But I should pray. We should pray. 7 p.m. Wednesday night, now available online. Just saying. We should. We should pray in our private lives all the time. Pray without ceasing. Commune with the Father. He did, so we should. He gives us that because without Christ, you can't pray to the Father. He's the mediator. He's the one man between man and God, Jesus Christ. He's also given us the church. He's given us a place to come and learn and hear and praise and pray 
to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to be accountable to one another. Maybe you're struggling with things, struggling with temptations that you can't overcome. Well, find a good brother or a good sister, man to man and woman to woman, just to get that right. And confess to them, say, I'm struggling with this. I need help with this. Great, let's pray about it. Let's see what the word has to say. He's given us his precious promises. Now, I was thinking about bringing a promise, and I thought, wow, which one should I bring? You know, Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> and I thought I'd try and find one that was apt to um, what we're looking at here. And you might not see this as a promise straight away. This is Second Peter uh, chapter 1. Peter begins his discourse on what you should be doing with your faith. You should be adding things. You should be having virtue and brotherly kindness, brotherly love, and so on. And to keep having them and see them increasing, he starts by simply saying this. His, referring to God, his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life, amen, and godliness. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. That's a great promise that gives me hope when I'm struggling with sin and with temptation. God's given me, I can't say, you didn't give me what I needed to obey you. <laughs> yes, I did. Giving you everything you need for life and godliness. He's also given us the gospel. And I want to just say, as I've already kind of said, it needs to arrest us. We need to not think of the gospel as that thing by which we get saved and then we don't need to talk about or know or draw near to or understand. We do. We need it every day. We need to be reminded that we needed a savior because we are wholly, with a W, sinful by nature. And so we needed someone that was wholly, holy. I wasn't trying to be funny there, but you get the point. And that's Christ. He's given us the gospel. It should arrest us. It should challenge us. I think it was uh, Owen who said, every time I go to sin, I look up and see Christ writhing in agony for me. And I say, why would I sin? Why would I sin? I remember years ago, I got caught up in sin before I wasn't a Christian. And my, one of my dear friends said to me, you killed the Messiah. <laughs> oh. That hit home. Did that hit home to you? That's what your sin did. It should arrest us in some way. He's given us the gospel. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. And his Holy Spirit does not want you to fall prey to temptation, does he? He wants you to live for Christ. He's the one with the word of God dwelling in us richly. He will say to me, Sam, Jesus Christ died for you. What are you doing? What are you doing? Doesn't want me to sin. That's how Jesus is able to help us when we are being tempted because he suffered in his temptation. He's a man. I want to close now with a question, maybe a few questions, and consider a final text. In a way, we've answered this already, but I'll ask it again. Why did God create you? Why did he create me? And the answer is simple. To live 
in a way that brings him glory. To live for him, just like Christ. Christ is all about the Father, isn't he? My food is to do the will of the... Why didn't he give that? Why didn't he give that to Satan? To do the will of the Father. I'm not here to serve myself. Are you here to serve yourself? To live in a way that brings him glory. Don't seek for glory in the world. In money or sex or chocolate. Whatever you're tempted with. Pride, anger, lust. Whatever it is. Maybe all of those things. Don't look for glory in the world. Don't seek your joy in the world. In yourself. You see, we've got a task. We've got a mission. We've been given a mission. It's not just to come to church. We've been given a task and a mission. And Jesus had a task, didn't he, and a mission. Without it, there'd be no point in us standing here today. Finish the mission. I want you to get these temptations in a slightly different way now. I want you to get to the very kernel, the heart of why temptation exists. What Satan is trying to do with Jesus isn't to cause him to do these little sins. It's to divert him from his mission. To take him away from his task. That's what he does. That's what he does to you. No, Sam. Indulge in sin. Don't honor God. Don't bring glory to God. In the midst of that, Jesus remembered who he was. Son of God. He remembered his task. Not my will. Yours be done. And that's our call. That should be our call. When we get tempted, no, Lord, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to sin against you. Your son died for me. Not my will, Lord. Not my will. Help me to have your will. Help me to serve you, Lord. Remember who you are. You're a Christian if you know Christ, if you follow him, if you trust him, if you obey him. If you don't do those things, you're not a Christian. <laughs> you won't feel that tension I'm talking about. If you are a Christian, honor him. Remember who you are. You're a child of God. Amen. You don't belong there. Christ called you there. You don't deserve to be there. Christ called you there. Remember who you are. Remember what your task is as an adopted child to bring honor and glory to him. So let Christ reign in your mortal flesh. Let him reign. Let him sovereignly take control of your life and submit to that. Pray that prayer. Lord, do your work in me and take what, do what it takes, right? I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to honor you. I want to be dead to myself and alive to you. Let Christ reign in you. Let him help you in your temptation because he's able to. Give him the glory. It's not you that does all this work. It's Christ in you. But you need to labor to admit Christ into your life. Don't just come to church. Don't just know the Bible. Satan knows the Bible clearly. He quotes it to Jesus. Demons believe there's a God and they shudder. It's not enough just to know things. You've got to experience them. You've got to work at getting Christ in your life, at fighting against sin. Because Christ did. 
And I'll end with this. This is Philippians 2. The Apostle Paul talks about how he suffered the loss of everything. Considers it rubbish. But he has actually suffered the loss of everything because he wants to gain Christ. You see, he's not tempted into the world. He loses stuff he had in the world. And he says there were great things because he wanted to gain Christ, be found in him and him and Christ in, in Paul. He says that he doesn't have a righteousness that comes through obeying God by being good or keeping the law. He says there's a righteousness that comes from Christ and he gets it through faith, believing, trusting in Jesus. And then he says this, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And say at the beginning, if there isn't a wrangling, be concerned. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, um, I personally, Lord, feel arrested by your word, by the reality, Lord, that we are all tempted and so often we yield, we give in to temptation. And yet your son who stands as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect holy son of God, the pure hearted son of God does not yield. And so, Lord, I thank you that he knows our weakness. He knows our frame. He knows what temptation is and he knows what it is to suffer. And I pray, Lord, as a body of people, we would ingest the words in agony. We would pray for help, that we would um, enjoy you instead of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.